Happy Thanksgiving to all the cinephiles out there. Welcome to another episode of the Marquee Spotlight, coming to you from the always sunny Portland, Oregon. I'm your host, Spencer Bailey, and I'm here with my co-host, she's about to get medieval on your ass, Chelsea Burnett. Hey, Spencer. Think, you know, Speaking of Thanksgiving, I'm just curious, what's your favorite Thanksgiving uh, dish? Oh my gosh. Um... I got to think, because growing up in Louisiana, my mom and my grandmother, both Southern women, would cook together. So we oh. had like non-traditional stuff sometimes, but my grandmother made really good collard greens. I would mm. I would always ask for her to make those. My mom makes really good yeast rolls, and they spice the turkey a certain way. So I don't know. I always have memories of those collard greens. What about you? Oh, I'm, a, I'm a big stuffing person, and I'm all about the... I'm like into the appetizers as well. We used to make... Um, salami with uh, pepperoncinis. Um, so you roll the pepperoncinis in salami and cream cheese and you stick a toothpick through it. And that would be like an appetizer we'd have a lot on Thanksgiving. I'm very partial to those, but um, also a just big dessert person as well. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. Actually, now I'm thinking about it, candied yams. Mm. Uh, that's a big Southern Thanksgiving dish. And my mom makes really good candied yams. Um, but all that being said, I, uh, I hope everyone has... Awesome Thanksgiving plans. Uh, it's been a wild year for everyone, <laughs> wild two years, mm. and hopefully we can have a more normal holiday season this year. But our spotlight topic of the day is going to be the films of 1994 and what the hell happened at the 95 Oscars. I have been wanting to do this episode since we started this podcast. I'm so pumped. Yes, you have. And I really want to get into why I think I know why this year means so much to you, but I'm excited for you to explain to to everyone why this is such a passion project of yours, this episode. Well, yeah, we're definitely going to get in all of that. But first, we are going to go ahead and do a news story. And news was a little light this week, and so I'm going to do something I have not been wanting to do. We're going to talk about Marvel movies and I think I've said on the show in the past, I'm actually a huge comic book fan. And the first 10 years of these movies is what I always wanted as a kid growing up. But I'm just burnt out. I'm just so burnt out. And it's so saturated with superhero movies. And if it's not Batman movies, I've kind of just been skipping them. Oh, really? So this this latest Spider-Man Far From Home trailer did nothing for you? Actually, that's part of why I wanted to talk. So this is a pretty big movie event because I think what they're doing is really ambitious. Mm. But the trailers looking out are kind of make me wonder, am I gonna am I gonna break my streak? I don't think I've gone to a superhero movie in theaters since Endgame. Um, but these these super or excuse me, Spider-Man trailers, um, extremely intriguing, on top of some other cool news. So Mahershala Ali is going to make a new Blade movie. And he apparently the end credit scene at Eternals hinted at it. You can hear him off screen say something to 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 a character. Uh, but this week, Delroy Lindo was cast in the Blade movie. I don't know what role, but you really like Delroy Lindo, and I, I mean, he's a phenomenal actor. I thought that was a pretty cool addition to what I'm hoping is a good Blade movie following in the footsteps of the Wesley Snipe films. Oh yes, I'm really really curious if they're going to. Um like how Mahershala and uh, Delroy are going to uh, be interacting in the film with their characters. Are they going to be enemies or friends or how, how that'll work. But I think seeing the two of them 
they because I think they've had such exciting careers. It, it, with Delroy Lindo, I he was someone who I saw into Five Bloods. Um, ooh, I guess that was last year on Netflix, and I recognized him, but I couldn't really like exactly pinpoint what films I had seen him in. But I was so blown away with his performance in that movie, and um, I definitely need to seek out more of his work, um, his earlier work. Is he someone who you're pretty familiar with his filmography? Yeah, for the most part, done a lot of Spike Lee films, and in fact, mm-hmm. 1994's Crooklyn, he's in, he's in that. Um, he was in he had a pretty prominent role in Malcolm X, but he's he's kind of popped up here and there over the years. He always does a good job. He's a traditionally trained actor from England. He was, you know, I, everybody in The Five Bloods I thought did a pretty good job, but he was definitely like the standout, mm. uh, going through a lot of different emotional ranges in that in that film. Um, but Mahershala Ali, I'm such a huge fan. The first thing I ever saw him in was House of Cards, and you're immediately drawn to him. Who is this guy? And now he's won two Oscars. He's, I'm hearing rumors he might get nominated again for Swan Song, which is about to drop on Apple+. Plus. I mean, he's just one of the best actors we have right now, and I'm eager to see what he does with Blade, who's a pretty compelling uh, Marvel character. Yeah, do you think he's going to try to follow in Wesley Snipes footsteps and kind of bringing that same kind of humor to the role or do you think he yeah what would you like like to see him I guess do with the Blade character I don't know if there's anything particular but I just trust him yeah he's such a good actor I just gonna let him let him do his thing and um uh, hope for the best I think the thing though I'm wondering is you know Blade the, the original movies were all rated R uh it's one of the more violent comics now We've had, you know, Deadpool and Logan were rated R, so they're not opposed to doing rated R superhero movies. But inside of the MCU's total universe, I I highly doubt that they're going to make a rated R movie that ties in with all the other films. Yeah, yeah. I guess we will wait and see. It's They're being very tight-lipped about it, though. Like you said, we don't even know what character Delroy Lindo's playing. So uh, we'll... we'll uh... We'll be staying on top of this news as it breaks, I guess. Yeah, I'm expecting them to continue casting announcements here soon for it uh, before they start filming. But a lot of changes coming in it, and I'm really curious to see how much longer they can do this. Um, Eternals was not well-reviewed by critics or audiences. People seem to not really care for it. Now we're going into this multiverse universe, which I've read some of the comics in the multiverse, but I'm not super familiar with it. But that's kind of what's starting with this Spider-Man movie is Doctor Strange is opening up all these other universes, which is going to be it's a worst kept secret. They're trying to downplay it like it's not going to happen, but they're going to bring in Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire. Obviously, in the trailer, all the old Tobey Maguire, Sam Raimi villains are in the, Mm. uh, as well as at least one of the Andrew Garfield, the lizards in the trailers. So I don't know what that's going to do for the total universe, but then you're going to get Doctor Strange 2 into the Multiverse of Madness is the name of the title. I'm already hearing that they're doing six weeks, six six days, six week reshoots for that. That's a lot. That is a lot of reshoots. Whoa. And word is that test audiences didn't like the movie. Um, Wanda from WandaVision, Scarlet Witch is going to be the villain. Uh, from a very prominent storyline, one of my one of my all time favorites. It's called the House of M in the comics. Sounds like audiences did not like the way she's portrayed, and they have to completely change the story now. Not a good sign. Um, I'm wondering if the multiverse stuff is going to be too convoluted, and if people care about seeing all these new 
new characters like the Eternals. Yeah, the I was going to say that the the trailer I it was exciting to see um you know Alfred Molina's Doc Ock again and to hear Willem Dafoe's voice is the goblin green goblin but I was yeah I I was like this seems like it's going to get messy real quick. I don't know. But you know uh the Miles Morales like the the animated Spider-Verse film was I I think they were able to weave all those different uh, multiverses uh, pretty clearly and really well. So I don't know, maybe I'm judging the trailer too harshly for this. So um, I also don't have the, the not like the back story. I don't really have the knowledge because I didn't read the comics. So I would just mainly be going in just to relive the excitement of what it was like to go see those Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies for the first time in theaters. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm definitely curious. I, I think there's a big part of me that I'm going to catch up at some point. I'm not going to go the rest of my life and not see the rest of these movies. I do think some of the stuff they've done is pretty cool. And uh, some of the storylines they've brought up from the comics I've read over the years is pretty cool. But it, it truly is. I just got burnt out. And some of these movies just didn't need to be made. I, I remember when I saw Ant-Man, I was just like, mm. I don't know if this needs to be made, although it was a fun movie. But when I saw Doctor Strange in theaters, I was like, all these characters don't need their own movies. They could be introduced in other people's films. And it's just gotten really formulaic. And I just I just got to the point where I didn't need to see all of them anymore. So we'll see where things go. Mm-hmm. Funny little aside about my the first time I saw Doctor Strange. Uh, Micah and I were on a flight and um, he was watching it with his headphones on and I was watching something else. I don't even remember what I was watching, but I was, I actually was more interested in watching Micah's screen, even without the sound. Like I couldn't hear anything that was going on. There were no subtitles or anything, but I like couldn't look away from the damn Dr. Strange movie. And then I finally watched it at home to where I could hear it. And I, I was kind of disappointed. I was like, dang, this movie was better when I couldn't hear the dialogue. Yeah. I mean, the, the images, what drew me to it. Mm -hmm. I, I was like, they're doing a, when I first heard they were doing a Doctor Strange film, I was like, okay, whatever. But then the trailer came out. I'm like, well, that looks cool. It's like Inception in the MCU. And then, yeah, you go see it. And it's like, I didn't need to go see this. <laughs> um, so there's no denying what they've been able to do. I mean, truly, growing up, we got comic book movies. The Batman ones were, were good. And pretty much everything else wasn't. I mean, like Spider-Man 1 and 2. Spider-Man 2 is quite good. Mm-hmm. X-Men 2 is good. But for the most part, it wasn't really what we wanted. And we've been getting what we wanted ever since Iron Man. Yeah. Um, but it's just a lot. It's a lot. And it's just a cash cow. And I have my limits. <laughs> Maybe this is the tipping point. We'll see. Maybe there's going to be a whole new uh, whole new side of Marvel and uh, after this Spider-Man movie comes out. Who knows? We shall see. All right. Well, that's going to do it for news. We're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back to talk about the 95 Oscars and the films of 94. Okay. Welcome back. So, Chelsea, we were talking about, you're curious about why I have so many thoughts about this year and um, why I've wanted to talk about this. So, I think first and foremost, let me just say, 1994 was a really special year for movies. Mm-hmm. I put it up there with the Pantheon of like 1973, 1974, which were two monumental years for movies. When you really stop and look at the full list, it's incredible what came out in that one year. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, so we're looking at Forrest Gump, Shawshank Redemption, and Pulp Fiction. 
Um, I feel like there is another one that I meant to to discuss, but I'm thinking these are films that I see continuously come up at the top of the list for like greatest films of all time. And they were all up for Oscars that year. Well, yeah, all three of them in like IMDb's like top 10 most, I mean, that's, that's based on average audience scores. So they're very beloved films on top of just top to bottom. There were so many films uh, that have stuck with us over the years. Now, all, all that being said, I was just like kind of the perfect age. I mean, you're starting, I was like 10, 11 around this time and, um, you know, really watching more movies. Obviously, I didn't watch some of the more adult films from that year at the time, but I remember them. I remember them being in the zeitgeist and I remember them being talked about as important films. But through the years, I've just looked at the Oscars that year and just wondering what the hell happened in so many so many different aspects, but we'll get to the Oscars in a second. Let's just talk about that year real quick. Okay. I mean, you had some really just influential films like Clerks. Mm-hmm. Kevin Smith comes out of nowhere with his signature film. Definitely was influential to some other like low budget indie film style uh-huh. style movies. Natural Born Killers. So I mean, you know. Tarantino becoming more prevalent, and this screenplay was based off of a story he wrote, full of you know star-studded film, uh-huh. uh, with really interesting concepts and ideas. Uh, Oliver Stone really, I don't want to say maybe he didn't outdo himself, but he was definitely trying to change like his style a little bit with that film. Tommy Lee Jones is in that movie, right? Yeah, he was working a lot that year. Now that I'm thinking about it, but he just won an Oscar the year before, so it kind of makes sense. So. Yes, I was going to say that he's had a he had a lot of films come out in '94, and he is like going for it in Natural Born Killers. <laughs> he is so over the just like playing Two Face from Batman <laughs> Forever before before. Kind of a personal favorite of mine is Maverick came out that year. We just watched a lot as a kid. Maybe mm-hmm. interested in poker. Fun movie. It's not a it's not a uh, all-time great or anything, but you also had True Lies, uh, you know. Oh yes, big budget action film, uh, iconic movie scenes with Jamie Lee Curtis and Schwarzenegger, directed by James Cameron. True '90s film, Reality Bites. Uh, every time I see that movie, it's just sucking me right back into the the '90s. There's so many, so many themes in that movie that were just central to the nineties. Oh yeah. It was a big, it, I mean, it really spoke to Gen X, right? That was, that was kind of, they, a lot of people point to that as like the Gen X film. Yeah. I, it is the Gen X film. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like themes of what it means to sell out, um, <laughs> you know, people getting tested for, for AIDS. Cause you're, you're coming out of the AIDS epidemic of the eighties and just all these things that stem from that, that culture in that time. We also had some really memorable sports films. A lot of them were kids' sports films, but uh, D2 Mighty Ducks. I think everybody had seen that a million times. Little Giants and Little Big League. Um, but then, you know, they weren't just kid movies. So one of my favorite movies of all time is Major League. And Major League 2 came out that year. Uh, I mean, it was like six years later for a sequel. Not as good as the first one, but still really funny. And then Above the Rim, which is one of those movies that I think the soundtrack might have been bigger than the movie itself, but uh, definitely an iconic sports movie with a soundtrack attached to it. 1994 was also the year that we got the Jim Carrey explosion. Oh, boy. 
Ace Ventura, Dumb and Dumber, and The Mask all in one year, cementing him as a megastar. It's insane to think about what Jim Carrey's life must have been like that year. Like, I, I mean, to have been, you know, doing, he was on In Living Color, correct? That I was, think he was yeah. still on In Living Color when uh, the movies came out. Oh my gosh. To be his co-stars, you think, like on that show. And it's, you 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 wonder, I mean, Jim Carrey's, uh, the, the last thing I saw him in was that like comedians and cars getting coffee or whatever was that that Jerry Seinfeld show on Netflix and how Jim Carrey really made me see him in a new, new way. But it's like, I I think any kind of like skyrocket to fame that he had is going to mess with your mind. Of course, you're going to be kind of, I don't know, to put it mildly eccentric for the rest of your life because of that. Can't even, can't even fathom it. But gosh, a dumb and dumber of, of those three you mentioned, I, dumb and dumber, I think I hold the nearest and dearest to my heart. So great. I mean, I was like, it, it, my, being a 10, 11 year old boy, like all that humor was directly targeted at me. <laughs> and I watched every Jim Carrey movie about a hundred times in that, in that, you know, that three year time span. But you know, in Living Color, it's so interesting because pretty short lived skit comedy show. I mean, it was on for a few years. Like, it, you know, it wasn't, it didn't die after one or two years, but it's not like SNL where yeah. it was on for like decades. But all the talent, that came out of In Living Color in such a short time is unbelievable. It's, I'll let you list it off. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. You had Jim Carrey. You had Jamie Foxx, who's now an Oscar winner. You had David Allen Greer, who's won, like, multiple Tonys. Um, and then you had, like, all the Wayans brothers who have gone on to do various things. I mean, Marlon Wayans is still acting, and Keenan Ivory Wayans went on to, like, produce and direct films. Mm. And I just can't believe how much talent came out of that show in such a short amount of time. Oh, yeah. It's a very... I think this was just, like... Uh, I mean, just goes to show why I am a 90s child, why the 90s was one of the best decades ever. So many great things came out of the, out of the 90s. So um, the other thing about 1994 was it was like hot Brad Pitt summer. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, it, so this was when like Brad Pitt really became the like heartthrob. A, house, a heartthrob household name. I mean, he's coming off of in recent years, you know, Thelma and Louise, and he was in that film California with Juliette Lewis. But in 94, he was in The Favor, Interview with the Vampire, and Legends of the Fall, all in one year. And, you know, then the next year he's in Seven to show that he, you know, he can do something darker. And then, you know, right after that, he's in 12 Monkeys and gets an Oscar nomination. I was going to mention, because I wanted, leading up to this uh, recording, I really wanted to look at what the the year prior and the year after the Oscars that we're talking about. And I was, I, and I knew when I had looked at our notes for this episode, you wanted to talk about Brad Pitt. And then I saw that he had the next year been nominated for 12 Monkeys. And I remember that performance as being, it was probably a real stretch for, uh, maybe it wasn't a stretch for him, but maybe it was a stretch for his fans to see him in something as uh, in a role as strange as that. And that often does come with a lot of accolades. Um, like, I guess when you're the pretty person that can kind of ugly themselves or, you know, be uh, look a little weird or strange or um, something, it's automatic. Like, I guess sometimes people see that as like Oscar Beatty. I don't think that's what he was doing in 12 Monkeys, but it certainly worked out for him. So. Yeah, I don't either. I think he just likes to act. Mm -hmm. And I think he was just going for it in that in that movie. And I mean, what a smart move for him to show so early on that he could be versatile. And I know 
it's been said a million times about Brad Pitt. He's a character actor in a leading man's body. And I mean, I, I think, you know, it helped him to take a role like that because, so let's just get into Legends of the Fall. We can just start talking about the 95 Oscars now. Okay. Um, I mean, he's so just pretty. <laughs> and like, I mean, I was watching Legends of the Fall and he's got long hair and he's clean shaven. And I'm just like, I swear, if he just, if he put a dress on, <laughs> if you just caught a glimpse of him, it could be a woman. He's just so, I think that really was... Um, a benefit and a detriment to him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, here comes along a little like Leo DiCaprio in Titanic a couple years later, who I think is also capitalizing on that, like very boyish beauty, handsomeness. But uh, I actually was, I just saw Thelma and Louise in the last year for the first time. And when I, you see him in that, it's, he's actually a little, he's kind of scrawny. He's, there's something a little more like feral about him in that movie than I think I, I, I wasn't expecting because I was kind of more used to, by the time I was really taking in movies, like the Brad Pitt I remember first finding really attractive is the one in like the Oceans movies, like Oceans 11. Um, so he's more in that kind of, I guess, like spiky, uh, spiky haired, blonde, frosted tip sort of look that was working really well for him. But uh, I don't know really much else to say with Brad Pitt other than he is just an actor who... I have, I think when I saw Moneyball is when like I fully appreciated what as like truly stellar actor he is. And he can definitely like, he's not bad to look at, but um, he's don't like under undercut him because right. he's, he's a real talent. There. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Legends of the Fall, not a great movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> not, not good. Uh, not terrible. Anthony Hopkins is really good in it, but he's always really good. But it was just kind of hokey, and some of the parts were over the top. It reminded me of, like, The Patriot. It, it's just like this is way too over the top and, and distracting uh, to try to be pull emotions out of you, and, and, you know, it's contrived. But the part of the problem was Brad Pitt was supposed to be like this, you know, he was the son of the three boys that was very wilderness and he was raised by one of the native american people that worked with his father and uh he could go out in the woods and hunt bear and i was just like no i can't he's just too good looking it's just not working that he's like scalping german soldiers in world war one it I, wasn't believable for you no not at all so. i i love if you if you want to see him in that same kind of time period and well i mean i guess same sort of setting and a movie that came out at the same time is like a river runs through it i think works so much better uh he he fits a character so much better in that film yes and and that was like his back-to-back -back films in montana uh, River Run Through River Runs Through It is a better movie. Uh, it is, yeah. By far. Yeah. I, now, do you think um, Legends deserved its cinematography uh, Oscar? Uh, yeah, I mean, fine. It was up against Forrest Gump, Shawshank Redemption, Wyatt Earp, and Three Colors Red, uh, the French film. I, I mean, ooh, I mean, maybe Shawshank. But I'm fine with it. There's some really beautiful sweeping shots of the Montana mountainside. And they have this beautiful property in the movie with this, all this farmland. So I, I get it. I get why one. I don't think it was a super strong year for cinematography. I was sort of surprised because um, usually black and white films are like a lock. Maybe I'm more thinking of it as in recent years. But like when I watched Ed Wood, I thought this movie was probably up for 
best cinematography and I looked up and was like oh no no it wasn't but I kind of think it should have been uh I think Ed Wood should have been up for a lot more um Oscars than it was but uh I guess we'll get to that uh, a little later we, we can do it about, now do you okay. want to jump ahead to Ed Wood yeah we can talk about Martin Lando yeah and, we can yeah. talk about Ed Wood so I actually just saw Ed Wood for the first time in I don't know last year and a half I like Tim Burton movies I don't know why it took me so long objectively it's probably the best movie he ever made it, yeah. it's, not, it's not my favorite i'd rather watch beetlejuice or batman or um you know nightmare before christmas or something but edward is like quality and substance and just all overarching piece of art I, I it's his best movie yeah it probably has the broadest appeal if you're looking at it from like um like an a uh, awards kind of standpoint but um it's the most the most grounded and i think he pulled a very compelling performance out of Martin Landau playing Bella Lugosi, which he was awarded for, which I um, I wanted to go back after watching Ed Wood. Uh, there's a podcast I love called Blank Check, and they did a series on Tim Burton, and I had listened to their Ed Wood episode. It came out in like 2019, and I had not seen the movie at the time, and now I've seen it. I wanted to go back and re-listen to their episode on it, and it starts with them talking about how Samuel L. Jackson was very butthurt over the fact that he lost the Oscar to Martin Lando. Um, he he thought he was like a lock for uh, Best Supporting Actor for Pulp Fiction. And he thought that it was he, you know, uh, thought that Martin Lando's Oscar was more of a lifetime achievement Oscar that they just kind of handed to him. And after, you know, what the guys on the podcast were saying, and I think it mirrors my own opinion that it was not a lifetime achievement Oscar. I think Martin Lando like put in an incredible and very impactful performance. He's kind of like the soul of that, of Ed Wood. I think he's kind of what makes the movie work so well. And Johnny Depp is also giving one of his best performances too, I think I've ever seen. No. Yeah. So full, this is my moment. (laughs) <laughs> to, to be honest, through the years, I was very upset <laughs> that Samuel Jackson did not did not win for Jules Winfield. If you've li- been li- if you've listened to this podcast, you know Pulp Fiction is my favorite movie of all time. I am able to set emotions aside in the face of objectivity and a lot of this stuff. But yes, I uh, Samuel Jackson playing Jules Winfield is one of my favorite performances of all time. Mm. I love that character i love the way he portrayed that character uh particularly the, the the ending of the movie uh for all these years i was really upset. and not only that but like gary sinise playing lieutenant dan is really fantastic oh, as well thank you for bringing him up yes i really want to give him his props because uh i mean that movie means a lot to me too i think i brought it up on our first episode about what movies made me fall in love with with the movies and forrest gump is one of them and the lieutenant dan character is probably one of the first movie characters I ever remember just like absolutely adoring. He's the best part of that movie. Yeah. He truly is. I, I He's the most dynamic character in that film. I, I Lieutenant Dan is such a great character. So yeah, all these years I was just like, ah, they just gave that to Martin Landau for what you just said. Lifetime Achievement Award. Well, then I watched Ed Wood and I was like, ah, uh, he's really fucking good. <laughs> <in this laughs> he movie. is. He just, uh, it kind of brings tears to my eyes just thinking about what he did in that movie. It, and What a it, tragic True life character. Oh, yes. Yes. And I mean, it reads so well. And he's wearing a lot. The movie won for best makeup as well. Deserved. Uh, very well deserved. And um, because uh, he actually has, if anything, his face cl- is 
resembles more of Boris Karloff than it does Bela Lugosi, which is kind of funny because those two actors have a big rivalry. I think that rivalry was more on Bela's side than <laughs> yes, Boris's. Yes. Um, but what they were able to do to transform him and that that the makeup and the prosthetics did not take away from the emotions you can read on his face. There's there's a lot. It's a funny, it's a tragic performance all mixed in one. Um, I, 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 I really, really liked Ed Wood. Oh yeah. It's, it's really good. Martin Landau. I had to eat some crow. Well-deserved. Although I still wish Samuel Jackson had won a little bit. Yeah. Um, okay. Moving along with the uh, 95 Oscars. Let's just jump into it. The Lion King. What a phenomenon. And again, I was the right age. So Disney, you know, in the eighties, they were kind of struggling and i don't mean struggling financially but their movies were really taking a massive step back they're making stuff like the black cauldron it just wasn't it, it wasn't up to what they'd made in the, the you know the, the, the decades era, prior yeah. yeah and then comes this run starting with the little mermaid and then beauty and the beast and aladdin and then lion king but lion king was if you weren't around at that time there's no way for me to describe to you what a huge fucking deal The Lion King was. I mean, it was just an absolute phenomenon. Mm. And uh, the biggest movie Disney had had in God knows how long. And, and, and that's what Beauty and the Beast being nominated for Best Picture in 91. I think Lion King was a bigger deal. There was no Best Animated Category in 1995. It did not occur until 2002. But obviously, I think it would have been a lock if it existed. Oh, yes. I mean, uh, kind of uh, interesting. I saw that uh, the Oscars, the I guess the 96 Oscars, uh, Toy Story won an award for special achievement um, because, again, it, it, it couldn't qualify. There was no best animated film. So um, I'm not sure why why Lion King didn't win something of that same sort, but of uh, like a special achievement, but it was definitely recognized in the song and, and uh, the score categories and well-deserved. I, I mean, I just rewatched Lion King in the last month. And while I have some opinions about the way that those animated films have been restored for Blu-ray, like, I don't know if it's maybe just cause I fell in love with those movies, watching them on VHS. So I miss like whatever quality there is to, of uh, seeing something on a VCR, but it's almost like they pop too much. Like the lines are too uh, strong in the drawings and now on the animated films, but that's just a little gripe I have. It's very small because the movie itself still holds up. It's, it's, uh, definitely up there, one of the best animated films. I mean, based on a classic story with uh, with Hamlet and everything. But uh, that opening, I mean, you can't beat it. The with the song swelling and your the circle of life is going. I mean, just that cut to as I am. I think about like the goosebumps audience members must have had in the theaters going to see The Lion King for the first time when. The song, you know, the singing starts, that red burning sun is on the screen. It really does take your breath away. I don't know. I was still like sitting in my home, like getting emotional watching it, thinking like this is something so special. Well, you bring up the music and that's where it was a big winner uh, for best original song. I, I mean, as most people know, Elton John wrote a bunch of original music for The Lion King. He had three Three of the, like the five nominees <laughs> yeah. in that category were Elton John. He won for Can You Feel the Love Tonight, but he was also up for A Circle of Life and um, Hakuna Matata. 
then you have score. So let's talk about this for a minute. My boy Hans Zimmer won. This is his only Oscar win, which, by the way, is complete bullshit. Uh, how does Hans Zimmer only have one Oscar? Like, seriously, John Williams, who? He, arguably the GOAT. I mean, all these, um, he has five Oscar wins and God knows how many Aww. nominations. Hans Zimmer has one, one, and it's Lion King. Now, look, his Lion King score is, is fantastic. Like, there's, there's some of the, the low-key, like, underlying songs that are really good. The Stampede song is, like, straight mm. out of the Hans Zimmer playbook. Obviously helped with some of the orchestral stuff, even on, like, Circle of Life. Super happy that that he has at least one Oscar. I, I hate that this is only one. If, if he's only going to have one, I don't know why it's this one. It should, probably should have been, like, Gladiator or something. Mm. But I'm going to say this. Much I love Hans Zimmer, and I'm glad he has this one Oscar. Is it better than the Shawshank score? Yeah. Uh, Thomas Newton? I don't know. Thomas Newton also zero Oscar wins, to my knowledge. I, I, I'm going to double-check that. But the Shawshank score is gorgeous. It is. I, it, it's very iconic in its own right as well. But uh, I wonder if there was maybe some split voting that year. But uh, I don't know. The Lion King was quite a phenomenon. Yeah. No, I get it. And I'm. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to uh, shake a stick at Hans Zimmer winning one. But he beat out Alan so Silvestri for Forrest Gump. Alan Silvestri's done many iconic scores, including mm -hmm. Back to the Future, Predator. Romancing the Stone, I think. Romancing the Stone, Predator, uh, the Avengers theme, the main Avengers theme song, that's that's him. Thomas Newman did Little Women, and he also did Shawshank, so he was nominated for two scores. Mm. I was saying Thomas Newton, Newman, it's, excuse me. And then uh, Elliot Goldenthal for uh, Interview with the Vampire, which I don't really recall that I don't score either. at all. So, But Little Women, I did recently rewatch. It is... It it is a really, really lovely score. I think de totally deserving to be nominated. And it definitely, like, like for me, I, I think you can, you usually speak to uh, the score a little better in films than, than I do, I think, with your music knowledge and background. But uh, for me, sometimes I will just judge on if I think a score is worthy of nomination or awards or whatever is if it, like, I don't know, it kind of transports me and like puts me in the setting. And when I watched Little Women, I was like, oh, I feel like I am in uh, the I'm, I'm right here. I feel the toasty, warm fire in the snow. I'm here with the girls and the family uh, in, in Massachusetts. You know, uh, it it it. So if, um, if a score can transport me to the to the to the narr narration, I, I'm, I'm, I love it. No, for sure. And, and I do have a you know, uh, a little bit of a music background and that does allow me to kind of hear maybe more nuanced stuff that other people wouldn't catch in music. But for me, it's the same way as, you, as what you just said. If it pulls some kind of emotion out of me, um, if it, if it transports me, it's got to do one of those things, either got to transport me or it's got to make me, I mean, there's like, we were just perfect example. We just brought the gladiator soundtrack that, that closing music just chokes me up every time. Mm -hmm. It's just so, so well done. So uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of music and movies because music can also kill a movie. I mean, I, I think I brought up not that long ago The Little Things. Oh, yeah. I thought the music was just terrible. And, and particularly there's a scene where there needed to be tension building and the music just killed the tension. It was just a dud. Um, so music's important. But glad Hans Zimmer won at least this one. <laughs> can we 
speaking of when music takes you out of because it's not matching it's it's so strange i can we start talking about blue sky right now and jessica because that that movie's all over the place for me and the music was one of those pieces yeah let's sit on let's sit on that we'll we'll get to that in a second okay uh i really wanted to jump into hoop dreams okay yes here's another what the fuck were they thinking situation (laughs) One nomination for editing. Which it deserved, but why not in the most obvious category? Documentary. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't nominated for best documentary, and it probably, I mean, I don't know. I didn't I didn't watch all the documentaries that year. I mean, full disclosure, but Hoop Dreams is like an iconic documentary. Criterion documentary. Yeah. yeah. And like touched on a subject that at the time people weren't super familiar with, but- for a documentary to be so well done, it was nominated for editing. Didn't win, though. Not, not in Best Documentary. I, somebody explain it to me because I don't get it. Yeah. What ended up winning in the editing category? Uh, let's take a I look. think I remember it was Speed. Was it up against Speed was one of them? Which we haven't talked about Speed yet. It's on either. the list. Okay. Forrest Gump won for editing. Okay. That and, and it makes won, a lot it, of sense. Yeah, yes. and it won because of... Editing in the old footage and everything, mm-hmm. and it had a, it had a lot of ground to cover, but so did Hoop Dreams. I mean, Hoop Dreams followed these boys through four plus years of of their adolescence. Incredibly I impressive. Mean, it, it was, and um, I mean, it is. It's it's a long one. You gotta you you gotta be settled in for it, but it's worthwhile. Um, it I, there. I don't think there's any wasted. Uh, time in, no, in the movie they couldn't have told the story any other way it's yeah it's like three hours long but you're you're enthralled and it's my favorite it's what I, I mean i know michael moore is important and he he does good work but i i i don't really care for his style of documentary filmmaking i'd much rather see something more like capturing the freedmen's or something that's like we're just gonna hold a camera up and be completely unbiased and yes. we're going to let an audience be smart enough to decide for themselves what the filmmaker was maybe trying to say by telling this story. Yes. M- Michael Moore's documentary style, uh, documentarian style is very much like I'm trying to make a point and make you see what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and speech really, and debate class. <laughs> yeah, point my finger in your face and Hoop Dreams is not like that. It's We're just going to tell you a story and give you information, and you can deduce what you want out of that. And I agree. That's Those are the most effective documentaries to me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there we go. Hoop Dreams. Incredible documentary. Not even nominated. Yeah. Make it make sense. <laughs> so you said Speed. Let's talk about Speed. Iconic action film. It was on our action movies of 1990 to 95. It was number two. Uh, and on that on our top ten list, um, kind of changed the game and got copied. It was like speed on a on a plane, <laughs> speed on the. I mean, you know, it was kind of like Die Hard got copied. We have mm. Die Hard in this situation, Die Hard in that situation. When then it was speed in this situation, speed in that situation. It could have very easily been a forgettable at like fun but forgettable action movie, summer action movie, and it's. It's a movie we still talk about today. Oh, absolutely. I mean, a lot of it, I think, come comes down to casting. Uh, it was like very, uh, I, th- I think it was lightning in a bottle having Sandra Bullock in that role at that time. I mean, she just, I, I think she may have only made While You Were Sleeping. But, uh, that was like maybe her biggest role up to that point. And I mean, she then became, you know, like another like, 
to me, I always saw her and Julia Roberts in competition for like America's Sweetheart after that point. For sure. Yeah. Uh, and and Keanu Reeves, uh, they, they had excellent chemistry and he was he was just perfect in that uh, in in that hero role in, in speed. I think he kind of redefined himself in that movie. I mean, he had done point break, but he's still kind of that California surfer kid and speed. I don't, I don't feel like he is. I think that, uh, the first like 15, 20 minutes of the movie when he's, you know, him and Jeff Daniels are doing mm-hmm. the elevator stuff. And then when he's trying to get his morning coffee at the beginning, there was just, he was carrying himself differently. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. I think it catapulted him into the action star, that we now know as John Wick and the Matrix and everything. He definitely had a different swagger about him now that I'm thinking about it in those in those movies. And um, I, I and with Speed, I mean, I, I I say it was came down to casting totally, but I mean, it also came down to so many. I mean, just it's a, a very very uh, like it's just a pitch perfect action film. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And that being said, it was nominated for editing, as you just touched on, and it won both sound categories. Mm-hmm. Uh, sound and sound editing, uh, which I fully agree. Uh, like, you know, dialogue was clear, but big sounds were big. Music was impactful. I totally deserved yeah. both those wins. Uh, real quick, I want to touch on next the two big English productions. Oh, yes. Both yeah. from Channel 4 uh, in England, The Madness of King, King George and Four Weddings and a Funeral. Both, I thought, this was my first time watching Four Weddings and a Funeral was to prepare for this podcast. I don't know how it escaped me all these years. Really good, more complex than I was anticipating it to be. Hugh Grant's just so goddamn charming. Not a great Annie McDowell performance, though. Yeah, she was the only piece that didn't work for me in the movie. I mean, she's beautiful. It makes sense why he is taken with her but she's just i don't know if it was a writing issue but it couldn't have been because everything else that script is so solid i think she just i just don't know if she could handle the writing maybe i just really think she's got a lane like she started as a model and you know like she's great in groundhog day which i don't think was a demanding part although she's really good in sex lies and videotape and she mm-hmm. really had to play kind of a uh, a naive and uh, person who's really learning about herself in that film. But yeah, not a great performance, but really charming movie, really fun movie. Um, and one of the rare romantic comedy or even just comedies uh, nominated for best picture that year. Yeah. Do you, do you find it's interesting that of the two main British um, exports that year uh, that, that, that was the one that was nominated for best picture because you would think the madness of King George would have been uh, in a typical year. I mean, it kind of carries a little bit more heft to it than four weddings. And I, the more I was thinking about it, I thought maybe box office had something to do with it because four weddings and a funeral was a huge hit. So maybe that's what took it over the edge. Maybe. And we'll get to best picture and I'll, I'll touch more on what you just asked later. But did you see Madness King George? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, it definitely had, you would think like this historical, like drama, semi-comedy that it would have carried a little more. But I don't know. I don't think the story was dynamic enough to be up for Best Picture. Maybe, it was a yeah. well-crafted film, which is why it was up for as many uh, Oscars as it was. In fact, I've got it here. Madness, The Madness of King George, also a Channel 4 production. It was up for, it won for Best Art Direction, Set Direction, which absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. Nigel Hawthorne, who played King George, was up for Best Actor. Obviously did not win. 
Helen Mirren was up for Best Supporting Actress in a pretty loaded category that year. Mm-hmm. I think Supporting Actress was more loaded than the Lead best Actress. actress. <laughs> and we'll get to that in a minute. And it was up for Best Writing based on uh, screenplay, based on material previously produced or published. It, it was a much more interesting story than, than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Funny in parts. I mean, it's based on a true story of King George, who was the king of England when we had the American Revolution. He had a illness. The name of the illness escapes me, but it does cause temporary insanity. Mm-hmm. And he just, but his madness was quite funny. Uh, <laughs> but it had it had a weight to it where Helen Mirren was playing his wife, the queen, and she was very concerned for him. And she's always great. Yeah. But it talked about a lot of the the politics of that time and and uh, his stupid son, who again, my dad, my dad's a history professor. He said that's really how that guy was. He's oh God, yeah, what a charmer. Um, I I it gave me a lot of Amadeus vibes, uh, the madness of King George. But I like Amadeus more. But uh, it uh, as I was watching it, it just reminded me a bit of that movie, which maybe was why I thought it would have swept more like Amadeus did um, in the eighties. Well, I mean, that's like a 10-year difference Yeah. Uh, on the dot. And I think, I, I don't know. I mean, I think, it, like I said, it was a well-crafted movie. I don't think the story was interesting enough. Yeah. But it got, I think it got as enough respect as it as it really should have gotten. I, I don't know what else I would have thought it should have been nominated for. But um, it was cool to see two non-American productions get so much attention that year. Although I think Four Weddings was only nominated for Best Picture. It's crazy. I may have been in a writing category, I I, I think, but uh, but I know it's it's often really interesting when a movie is up for best picture, but it's not um, nominated in any of the acting categories. I always find that to be kind of funny. But. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's get into the one you wanted to talk about. Jessica Lange wins best actress for a very forgettable movie called Blue Sky, co-starring mm-hmm. Tommy Lee Jones. Wow, where okay, where do you want to begin with this? I'll let you I'll let you start because I have so many thoughts about everything involving this situation. Okay. Um I do I think Jessica Lang deserves Oscars. I think she has two. I think she won one for Tootsie. And this may have been her second. Uh, no, I think she, this she, is the, I think it's the only one she won. I'll oh, double I'll double check, okay. but you go ahead. So she is a, a brilliant actress. And I actually think that she's good in this in this part. I think what is not working for me is everything else around her in the movie. It's like I I think there are some great moments between her and Tommy Lee Jones. I think he is this sort of grounding force. Um did you find out if she, if she did win for Tootsie or not? Yeah, I got to eat crow. She did win for Tootsie, okay. so she has two wins. But that was probably Which for makes supporting. makes this win even more peculiar. Yeah, but that was probably for supporting? It was. Okay. So I, maybe, there was, maybe there was an issue this year where there was a split and she came through as the third choice, um, trying to think who the split would have been through. It may have been Jodie Foster who I'll also get into a little later. I, I actually really adore that performance now that I've rewatched Nell. Um, and I think she's very deserving of a nomination for it, but possibly Winona Ryder may have been up there. Um, I also think she's very charming as the, jo- as Joe and little women. I, th- I don't always like understand Winona Ryder in certain period 
piece films. Like I just saw her most recently in Bram Stoker's Dracula, and I thought both she and Keanu Reeves were really wild choices for that movie. Oh my god, don't even get me started. Um, but uh, but she really works in Little Women, and um, I really really enjoy her in that. But I'm getting off topic with Blue Sky. Basically, I think Jessica Lange was uh, awarded for that role because she was very committed. She's playing this woman who seems to be struggling a bit. Definitely with so being many fidelity. She definitely has an issue with fidelity, as uh, we're understanding. And I think you were telling me, Spencer, this this is based on a true story. Evidently, the woman who wrote the screenplay, this is based off her real life relationship with her parents. Now, this gets into government cover-up with some nuclear testing. Mm. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones is a, is a major in the in the military. He's a nuclear engineer. And they they try to lock him up because he found out they were doing something unethical. I don't know how much of that was true. It, it's everything. I, I could. It's, here's the thing. I did a lot of Googling about this movie. I couldn't find a lot of information. Mm. The woman who wrote the screenplay, I mean, I don't know if she wrote a book too. I, don't, I couldn't find anything about mm. how much of this movie was true. And I Googled like hardcore. Could yeah. not find anything. It's a very peculiar movie. First of all, it was filmed in 1991 and it was shelved because it was produced by Orion, which went out of business. Oh, okay. So I remember as soon as the movie started, I said, this does not look like it came out into... 94. Like, it looks like it came out in the late 80s, and then I found it was filmed in, like, 1990 and 91. I was like, oh, there you go. Got shelled, comes out in 94. Jessica Lange, Tommy Lee Jones, Powers Booth, all quite good in the movie. Everyone else is fucking terrible. Like, some of the worst acting top to bottom, just people that they just, probably the only thing they ever did, and they just memorized the lines and just said them. Yeah. Uh, the, the, opening, the opening scene where they're in the helicopter... And the, the helicopter pilot is talking to every line delivery that yeah. guy had. I was like, how much did they pay you? Because it was too much, dude. Mm. Um, I think just the director. I, I I don't know. where. Maybe the director just was checked out and it was just like Tommy Lee Jones, Powers Booth, Jessica Lange were like, well, we know what to do. We're just going to go for it. And uh, they were able to make something of it. Yeah, even a really young Christopher O'Donnell um, – it was not great. <laughs> just not good acting, top to bottom in this movie. I did was, not understand. Why did the girl throw a grenade? She had like a smile on her face. Like was like, hey, threw this, pulled the, pulled the little plug out of the grenade, threw it. I was like, who? And she, we were supposed to think she was smart too. I was like, why did this girl do that? Well, I think that's the girl that grew up and wrote the <laughs> okay. wrote the screenplay too. So I, yeah, I don't. know. It was a very weird movie. I don't understand what we're supposed to take away from the story at all. Like, I I, I don't know. I don't know. It was a weird Love movie. truly conquers all. Yeah, even I, through I, having an affair. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, were there any other women in that category that, that really spoke to you, Spencer? Uh, oh. Well, actually, I have a proposal for you. And, okay. And let me just say, Jessica Lange is, is she's good. She's good in the movie. I honestly think this is a weak year for best lead. And I wonder if, you know, so we'll get to in a minute with, I wonder if they had split up the bullets over Broadway actresses mm. and put, I've, like does Diane Weist who won for supporting, does she win in best actress if they put her there over Jessica ah. Lang? I don't know. Uh, Jessica Lang doesn't do a bad job. And then you got Miranda Richardson for Tom and Viv, which I looked up some scenes, but I don't think either one of us watched that whole movie. One uh, on a writer for Little Women, Jodie Foster for Nell in a very odd performance, and Susan Sarandon in The Client. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
We both watched a client. Fine. Susan Sarandon's always really good. Yeah. I, I just um John Grisham movies, I just don't ever really care for any of them. Oh, okay. They always seem like they're slow and drag out and kind of boring. And then what's always supposed to be the climax is completely unclimactic. I, I don't know. I felt that way about the firm and the Pelican brief. It's like, here we go. We've got what we need. And they're just like printing papers. It's okay. like, we submitted the papers. It's all over. It's like, that's it? Like, that's how I always feel about John Grisham movies. So it was fine. She was good in it. But I see why she was probably got, I, I think she's the only nomination for the client. And it makes sense. I When I was watching it, I was like, I just can't wait till Susan Sarandon's on the screen. And it takes a long time for her, yeah. her character, Reggie Love, to be introduced. And when she is, I'm like, just let's just only watch her, okay, the rest yeah. of the movie. And she she gets her win, I think, the next year, right? For yeah. Dead Man Walking. Yeah. So she got one. Before I give you my proposal, you wanted to talk about Nell. Oh, yes. Go for it. Um, so that was funny when I told you I watched Nell. You said, "Oh God, you actually did that." Yeah, that movie is. I go ahead. I so I'm actually maybe maybe I just happened to watch it at a vulnerable time, but I was really moved by Nell. I had seen it many many years ago, and I'd always been like, you know, everyone has kind of maligned. I think Jodie Foster for that performance because it seems in clips a little ridiculous and outlandish as a whole I actually was very moved by um her and by Liam Neeson I actually would have maybe liked to see him get a little bit more um recognition for for that film I I think he's bringing a lot of like heart and soul and and um is a good counterbalance to to what Jodie Foster is is doing as well I think Jodie Foster is very proud of her performance in Nell. I, I know, like, I saw a clip. Oh, I'm sure she is. I saw a clip of uh, her master class um, that she gives on directing and acting, and she brings up her method into performing and Nell. And and I think she, it's, you can see that she really tried to embody this, uh, for anyone that's not familiar with Nell, um, that this, this wild child, a woman who, uh, was raised in isolation in the woods by a mother who eventually had a stroke. So she could only speak out of one side of, of her mouth. And so Jodie Foster Nell it speaks in this what d- appears to be a, f- a strange made up language, which it partially is because you find out she had a twin. They had a, a twin language together. And then she also learned to speak from her mother who had this, you know, uh, had had this special way of speaking out of one side of her mouth after the stroke. So it, there's kind of different layers to it. Do I think it handles all the subject matter with the right sensitivity? M- maybe not, but um, I, I actually just, yeah, I just kind of wanted to come here to, to say that I'm, I'm going back on my previous opinion of Nell seeing it as kind of just a bit of a joke and like a total Oscar Beatty movie and sort of seeing it act- as, I actually found it to be really, um, really enjoyable, a really beautiful and and moving film. And it has a really compelling like courtroom scene at the end. Uh, again, just I think Jodie Foster and Liam Neeson had really cool chemistry in that movie. Well, I certainly respect, you know, your feelings towards the movie. <laughs> I think it's bad. Uh, I think it's I think it's just not a good performance. I've never seen the entire movie, but. The reason I haven't seen the entire movie is because what I've seen, I think, is just real bad. And, uh, 
again, it's all subjective. You enjoyed it. I don't. And that's yeah, okay. Yeah. You know, and, it worked for me. didn't work for you. Yeah. And uh, I love Liam Neeson. He's one of my favorite actors. And at this point, Jodie Foster is a two-time Oscar winner. Yeah. I mean, you know, she's one of the most respected actresses in, in, in Hollywood. And I just, I, 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 I give her respect for going for this role. I, you know, I give her respect for trying to pull it off. And I, I don't think she did a bad job. I just, I don't know if she was the right choice. I don't know if she could have done something differently. I really do wonder if she was the right choice. I wonder if they'd gotten a lesser known, less prominent person, if it would have worked more. Maybe the last thing, if I can kind of lead into it with my little thought about um, Jodie Foster and Tom Hanks that year. Is it okay if I kind of talk about this real, real quickly? Sure. And the two, the two characters that they're playing. So Tom Hanks playing Forrest Gump and Jodie Foster as Nell. They're these characters that are kind of othered for the way whatever type of like perceived like handicap or disability they may have. Um, it turns out in the end, I don't really think Nell had one. And they talk about it first. Maybe she was autistic, but I think in the end, it just was the fact that she was raised in isolation and had this other language. But Forrest Gump is slow, as a lot of people uh, refer to him as. But I, what I thought the timing of things was kind of interesting in this year of like these two performances that carry a film where the characters around them learn to view the world differently by seeing how these people that they perceive as different or strange from them see it. So, um, and I mean, definitely Forrest Gump is going to stand the test of time uh, over Nell in, in, in this uh, um, example, I guess, like the Forrest Gump character is a lot more iconic. It was more just something that kind of hit me as I was watching Nell that I was like, oh, I just feel like the way that people are looking at Nell in this movie reminds me a lot of the way people looked at Forrest Gump in the movie. And I was wondering, like, what was going on at that time um, that made us, like, think about seeing the world through other people's eyes or seeing things a little differently? Well, as I said, I had a proposal. Now, my original proposal was, you know, we're not going to add anybody because at this point, they had criteria for how many nominations you could have. I mean, like, for instance, this year we had five Best Picture nominations. Well, now they do 10. So we got to stay within the criteria. Well, my initial gut reaction was to say, let's take Jodie Foster out of the running. But you seem to really oh, like no, that performance. Oh, no, okay. You can do your proposal. Well, we can, take, we can take out whoever, right? We can take out her. We can take out Miranda Richardson. I mean, Tom and Viv sounds like it was a very forgettable movie. Let's I don't take know. out Miranda Richardson. Okay. No, I don't know. Sorry, no disrespect. I didn't even see the movie. And here's my proposal. Natalie Portman for Leon the Professional. By the way, Leon Professional, incredible movie, nominated for nothing. Why? (sighs) Why? Natalie Portman, she should have been nominated, and I dare say she should have won. I think she was like 13, 14 at the time. Mm. She's unbelievable. Like... The end of that movie, when he's putting her down the laundry chute, the way she breaks down crying is so natural. It's such a weak year. I, I just it would have been uh, exciting to see her in that category. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm down with it. You know, and then who's? It's it's crazy to think what could have happened. The type of butterfly effect if she had been in that category, would she eventually win for? Black Swan oh, years I think later, she does. or if, yeah. if, if everything plays out the same and she does Black Swan, 
No, nobody was beating her that year. She was unbelievable in that movie. She's such an interesting um, actor to me. Like, I do like her in um, Heat. I think she's kind of weird in Heat, but uh, so okay. So uh, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna make this short and sweet. Uh, Heat was supposed to be a TV show, and once you learn that, the movie makes a lot more sense because there's when you just watch the movie, there's pieces of it. You're like, why is this in here? You find out it used to be a, was going to be a show, and you see how it was going to be episodic. And I think that the movie does not need the Natalie Portman parts. Uh, I think the way he kind of reconnects with his wife when she tries to commit suicide, when Natalie Portman tries to commit suicide, if you know what I'm talking about, just go watch Heat. Uh, but yeah, no. That, that makes a lot more sense if you, yeah, if you're yeah. putting it that way, that if it was as a TV show, totally, she would have had more of an arc that would have made her character make a lot more, her motivations would have made more sense sure yeah. sure yeah anyway no i like it i really like you bringing that up i i want to rewatch the professional um because i i i mean i'm a huge fifth element fan and same director and everything but uh the fact that she could hold her own in that film at such a young age too very and very interesting that anna paquin would win i mean in supporting but that she would win the next year probably around the same age maybe a little younger than natalie portman was for the piano but well that was a few years before yeah or before sorry yeah so should have been done and i think she i mean she probably would have won there's just a weak year for leading actress i don't know jessica lang's really good in blue sky but was it like this transformative like i don't know i just really think it was a soft year for mm. lead actress okay Real quick, let's touch on Bullets Over Broadway. So here's one of the main things I want to talk about. So Woody Allen movie, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, yeah. Some of the scenes when, uh, when he shoots Jennifer Tilly, I just died laughing because I saw <laughs> what was coming. But that's typical Woody Allen like humor. Like There's this whole buildup to make this joke work, and it was just a uh, funny movie. But <laughs> nominated for... Two supporting actress roles, and Diane Weist and Jennifer Tilly both nominated. Diane Weist wins. Or wins. Uh, it's up for Best Original Screenplay, Best Supporting Actor uh, with, uh, how do you say his last name, Chaz? Um, uh, pol po preliminary. He's the detective from The Usual Suspects. And up for Best Director, but not up for Best Picture. I know. Now, what happened there? This isn't even about what I think about the movie. Just make that make sense. You have... Four Weddings and a Funeral, which was not up for <laughs> anything else, and it's up for Best Picture. Bullets Over Broadway, up for all the major nom or categories, not up for Best Picture. Wh why? Wh make it make sense. I, I'm not sure. I would love to know more about the nomination pro nominating process um, and how that's kind of broken up in the voting and, and who votes for what categories and whatnot, but... I, can't, I don't know if I could make it make sense because I don't think Woody Allen was seen as as a, a divisive politically. I don't know politically divisive as he is now. Or uh, um, well, I think that he was at that time. He had caught flack for the Sun Yi thing. Okay. And listen, we are not going to get into that. No. Yeah. I'm not giving you my opinion one way or the other on Woody Allen, and neither is Chelsea. So please do not say we're supporting him or whatever. We're, we're more looking at this as a snapshot in time just, and interest. Yeah, yeah we're talking exactly. Well said. <laughs> we're talking about 1994 Woody Allen and this movie he made, and that's it. Mm -hmm. I, you know, but it's it's weird to acknowledge him in director if they did have an issue with him. I mean, they they gave him that. So, uh, I because I think if Four Weddings is in that category, why couldn't have 
bullets over Broadway been there. And uh, as a, I think it's a comedy well deserving of a best picture. Um, it's uh, it, it is confounding. I don't know. Yeah. All the major categories wins one of them, but not a for best picture. It makes no sense. But it was an amusing movie. Now, do you like, uh, would you have liked to see Jennifer Tilly win over Diane in that role? Or well, do you have uh, much of well, let's opinion talk, on that? No, Diane Weiss was, was, a better, was a better actor. But you know what I think I would have liked to have seen? I think that if you move Diane Weiss to best actress, but lead, I think she wins. Mm. And then I think I would have liked to seen Helen Mirren win Best Supporting for The Madness of King George. Yeah. Although Uma, Uma, yes. Th- Uma Thurman was up for Pulp Fiction. I wouldn't have shaken a stick at that, oh, obviously. But I know. I got to say, I was really like moved by Uma Thurman in Pulp Fiction when I rewatched that. I looked at... I, I like looked at Mike. I was like, she's like got something like very, very special in that movie. I mean... Yeah, wow, we haven't even really scratched the surface on Pulp Fiction yet. I'm so excited to get into that. Um, well, and barely even Forrest Gump. But um, Well, as you say that, yeah. I was about to say, let's take a break, and then we're going to get back into the big three. Okay. <laughs> okay, Chelsea, here we go. We're going to get into the big three. Forrest Gump, Pulp Fiction, Shawshank Redemption. It is insane that all three of these movies came out in the same year uh, with the influence they've had and just the love that that even the casual movie lover has for these movies and they all strike really different tones too i would well say said. yeah like um i i think with with forrest gump you've got something that's that is riding that line of drama comedy I, my recent rewatch of forrest gump i laughed a lot like rewatching it and and not and i feel like i was laughing purposefully like they wanted me to laugh at not like i was laughing like god this is so embarrassingly bad or whatever like can you believe they they put this in this movie but um like i i i uh i think with shawshank that's going for more on the prestige side then you have pulp fiction which is kind of this movie all in its own. I often find Quentin Tarantino movies to be kind of hard to totally define. And um, I, I maybe we'll leave that up to you to kind of speak more about like wh- why you think this movie, like how it was able to carve itself out and and be nominated for so many awards that year when it probably was like a big smack to a lot of people's faces. Like, I mean, what a wild movie. Do my force come? Talking about uh, Pulp Fiction. Oh, Pulp how, Fiction. Yeah, how yeah. you think. Because Forrest Gump and Shawshank are a little bit more, they make a little more sense in terms of how sure. of that being nominated for an Oscar. It's like, okay, they've got a prestige factor to them, especially with Shawshank. But yeah, uh, yeah curious how you think uh, Pulp Fiction made its mark. Well, I mean, I just don't think there was anything like it. You know, I mean, obviously Tarantino is you know, one of the biggest cinephiles in the in the world. And um, he's taken influence from not just contemporary movies of the last few decades, but B-movies and, and foreign films and movies you've never heard of. He takes influence from all these things. And that hodgepodge of interest he has has given us the one-of-a-kind mm-hmm. films that he's he's given us over all these years. And that's, I mean, that's partly why he's my favorite director. He just... Nobody makes movies like him, and he does everything himself. He writes them, he directs them, he acts in them. You know, he 
They're all his creation. And Pulp Fiction, as good as Reservoir Dogs was, Pulp Fiction was just a massive step up. And you heard stories when it came out. I, mean, I was young, but my dad was so enthralled with Pulp Fiction that I would just hear these things from him that Bruce Willis took a massive pay cut because he just, everybody wanted to be a part of mm. his movie. Tarantino showed his unique skill for reviving people's careers. I mean, John Travolta, who was a huge star in the 70s and the early 80s, his career had really fizzled out. Yeah. Um, he was pretty much just known for Look Who's Talking yeah. <laughs> at that time. And then Tarantino gave him something new to do, and it just completely revitalized his career, sparked the career for Samuel Jackson, who had been in other stuff prior to that, including uh, True Romance, which was screenplay written by Tarantino. He had a, Samuel Jackson had a bit part in that. He auditioned for Reservoir Dogs, but didn't, didn't get it. Uh, it you know, introduces to Uma Thurman, really, who had been in a couple things, but sparked her career. I think that it's just one of those movies, like I said, the first time I saw it, it's, I didn't know you could do this in movies. Mm -hmm. And it was just such a phenomenon and has since become an incredibly influential film. That so that's really well said and i it's probably why audiences why awards bodies wanted to reward the movie the re reward pulp fiction because it was doing something so different but seemed like it was being done so masterfully like with someone that had like a real grasp on what they wanted to say and do like i um i mean that that film just moves like clips along just with such a great pace and every performance is given weight to it. Like I've, I could see why so many actors wanted to do anything they could to be in it because they're going to have, they're, they're going to make some impact with whatever screen time they're given. And I feel that the movie also ushered in, I mean, it was ushering in a new wave of filmmakers uh that that have shaped cinema in um from the 90s on so it was kind of probably one of the the first off the beaten uh out of the what's the word i'm looking for someone out of the uh, the mainstream that they could reward um quentin tarantino and pulp fiction just happened to be like right place right time okay we're we're ready for something fresh and let's let's uh let's we're we're here let's show them we're here for it yeah and i mean like you said i mean it was so influential i mean it was, people try to copy it and it was like all these movies came out that you're like you're trying to copy pulp fiction and it's so obvious and you're also failing mm. because you just can't copy tarantino movies the the guy's mind is just his it's one of a kind yeah. and that's why these these full creations come out of his head if anybody else tried to make something like kill bill it'd be terrible but Kill Bill is so cool. And it all comes out of his true, deep down love for those old kung fu movies. And he wanted to do a modern version of that. Yeah. I think if somebody else did it, it would have been bad. Yeah. Um, so moving on, Shawshank. Yeah. I mean, it, everybody knows the story at this point. Uh, based off of a Stephen King novella. Uh, got passed around a lot. Like pe Some people wanted to make it. I think he was always surprised. Did not really gain any traction people are and it probably was the title i mean you hear that title and you're like what is <laughs> what is that and it was word of mouth started to kind of circulate and the movie really wasn't making money but the more word of mouth circulated and then people started here was nominated for oscars and then they had a second theater run and it made it quite a bit more money after that but 
constantly being one of the most rerun movies in cable uh, it really helped as well. Yeah. But it's one of the most beloved films of all time and has a long-standing record of being the best-rated movie in IMDb by by viewers for, I mean, it's been like 15 years or something. Yeah. Longer than that, 20 years. I think I heard someone once talk about like why this movie is so means so much to people, especially I think men. And I, I, and what this person said, and I also think I, I also believe is that there is a real like brotherly love that's displayed in the film that I, I think it, it show, it may show men like, you know, it's okay it's okay to love each other this way and support each other this way. And um, yeah, I'm not really putting this very eloquently other than I do think no, that are. the Tim Robbins and the Morgan Freeman characters have a very, there's something very special there between them. And I think the movie gives their relationship a lot of room to grow and not only just between the two of them. I mean, they're in a men's prison. So you're seeing tons of relationships between men happening. And um, seeing that type of vulnerability on screen was maybe foreign to some peop- some male viewers. And it maybe tapped into something. It gave them, like, permission to, like, I don't know, to cry when, when men are often told not to cry. So uh, it's kind of a weepy film for men. And uh, to put it very very simply which i don't mean to oversimplify it no 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 i think that's well said and i will definitely want to get into the theme you just brought up and some of the themes in all these movies in a second but we can't move forward without getting into comparisons and categories until we talk about forrest gump now what do we even need to say about forrest gump (laughs) i mean it's like one of the biggest movies of all time you couldn't get away from it. And I remember, I mean, you're, I don't want to say quite a bit, but you're you are younger than me. And I remember when the commercial started running. And we all loved Tom Hanks in my house. You know, yeah. we watched Big and The League of Their Own and Turner and Hooch and everything. And so, yeah, Tom Hanks movie, we were in. And I remember the, the commercials running and we were all laughing at this movie that's about to come out. This looks hilarious. Even my dad just thought it was hilarious. And we were all already laughing about stuff. But... The bigger it got, the more it got. I remember seeing my parents just being like, I don't want to hear another thing about this goddamn movie. <laughs> and uh, Tom Hanks was recently on the Bill Simmons podcast, and he even kind of talked about it. They may really implied that he was really exhausted yeah. by the end of the Forrest Gump run. I, I think it really, really wore him out when he just wanted to, to do a movie that he yeah. thought was interesting. Probably his most famous performance ever. It got him his second Oscar in back-to-back years. Yeah. Uh, I forget that it, he won for Philadelphia just the year Just before. the year before. It rarely happens. Um, Robin Wright uh, playing the complex character of Jenny, who we've talked about in the past. We did, yeah. Don't understand why she often gets a bad rap. I don't know what you expected that person to be like <laughs> the way she grew up. Yeah, and every character in is In that time. Kind of, yeah, and every character in that movie is kind of boiled down to a a very um, broad, like, uh, description of, of, or a very broad, like, uh, depiction, I guess, of what, what uh, your surroundings will do to a person. It's just kind of like, I don't know. The movie is just, it, it, it's, it's looking at a, 
a huge expanse of time. And so I think they use, especially the Jenny character as like this character that's going to transport you from decade to get decade to be like in the seventies, it was like this in the eighties, it was like this. And this was then what you're dealing with here. And, and then you're, we're now moving into the nineties and she was, I, I guess this totem uh is uh, the best way i can look at but i feel a lot of characters were just kind of but like bubba lieutenant dan not to say that those actors didn't do something brilliant and great with uh, with uh and sally fields is the mama character like they're all just kind Talk of about someone else by yeah. the way i thought when I, we actually rewatched forrest gump last night under the gun obviously i've seen it many times but that was somebody else i wondered if you move diane weiss to best lead i think you could put sally field in to that into supporting i would have rather seen robin wright uh in because she wasn't nominated correct uh, robin i think wright? she was actually oh my gosh uh, i'm embarrassed if i got no, that no. wrong uh no she wasn't she wasn't actually i'm sorry my apologies she was not nominated you're right but both women i think both sally field and robin wright are great but i think robin wright kind of just would take it a little bit further for me in, in terms of a nomination but um yeah i don't know with with forrest gump it it just was something that uh, tapped into um, America's hearts and souls, and we just you know lapped it up. I, I guess the the achievement in the way Robert Zemeckis was able to take actual like newsreel film stock and incorporate Forrest into history in that way was also really revolutionary, which I think also puts the movie like. Um, on the special kind of pedestal the soundtrack was oh my god like a million dollar soundtrack that was incredible like the rights that they were able to get for that to just to capture the country through the through the decades everything just kind of works in Forrest Gump even down to the very end when we're introduced to Little Forrest with Haley Joel Osment it's there's I think with Tom Hanks in the lead steering the ship like and how he interacts with every person because the whole movie is about how does Forrest you know impact all these other people's lives as he's going through um living his life uh I think Tom Hanks was the perfect choice and I think the movie is is just very special but it's kind of hard I guess to exactly put my finger on what makes it special um just for me I will always love it sure I mean Every, you know, who doesn't love Forrest Gump? Who doesn't enjoy watching it? All that being said, this is the one thing that makes me want to lose my freaking mind. And maybe we're not going to agree on this, but looking back on this Oscars and seeing the accolades that Forrest Gump got over these other two movies makes me want to rip my hair out. And I don't dislike Forrest Gump. I don't. Like, very charming movie. Very fun movie. It... it in, and I like, you know, the general themes of don't doubt people based on what you may perceive as a weakness. And as Forrest displays of the whole movie, treat everyone with kindness, build people up, don't put them down. His relationship with Lieutenant Dan, I, I really, really uh, appreciate a lot. The Lieutenant Dan character and the growth he shows throughout the movie is one of my it's probably my favorite part of that movie yeah um oh i'm in like tears when he shows up at the at, wedding yeah oh and he says you got and you got your legs yeah. <laughs> and also just help people 
I'm all down for those themes. But at the end of the day, Forrest Gump to me is just, it's a nice, charming movie with some really ridiculous elements that this mentally deficient person is becomes a millionaire and is responsible for all these things. That's fun. You know, the way he blows up the Watergate scandal by, by calling in, <laughs> hey, y'all better get in there because... You know, there's people in there with flashlights, and I think the electricity's off. It's so off. silly, but it's kind of amazing that it worked and that it sure. holds, like, that it is seen and as it has dramatic weight to it. It's funny that it, it's funny to me that those silly premises as a whole, the movie as a whole, and does work. And I, I think this is what I was going to ask you. So this is kind of how I feel it should have shaken out. I do think Tom Hanks should have won for playing Forrest. I do think Robert Zemeckis should have won for best. No, I'm sorry. I think Quentin Tarantino should have won for best director. And I think that Forrest Gump still should have should keep its best picture Oscar. We're close. So, uh, well, where do you want to start? Uh, I guess actor. Okay. We can start with actor. I, I think Tom Hanks is an actor who should have multiple Oscar wins. Both of his, I kind of question, I mean, Philadelphia, I think that was more of an important movie and an important role at a specific time. Forrest Gump, I mean, I'm torn because I don't know how difficult of a role that was, but you have to hand it to him. He played it the right way in this charming way that made the movie work so well. I I think if I was going to do a different one, maybe Morgan Freeman. Um, that is a very close one. Yes. I obviously love Travolta and Pulp Fiction. I don't, I don't know if he, sh- I don't know. I get why Tom Hanks won over him. Uh, Nigel Hawthorne for the Madness King George. He, he did a great job, but yeah. he was never going to win. You saw Nobody's Fool with Paul, Paul Newman, which I love Paul Newman. I tried to make time for this movie and I, I wasn't able to, but you can share your thoughts about that performance. Sure. I mean, I, I think perhaps it's interesting that, that, that role snuck through and and got some uh, recognition, uh, not because it's not deserving. I just think uh, nobody's fool in comparison to the other uh, films in that category is uh, it's it's a little bit more. I don't know. It it was just a smaller film. Nothing against it. I loved it. It probably I would say Nobody's Fool is up there as maybe my favorite movie I had to watch in preparation for this. It's going to be one of those that I want to own now and will probably want to bust out. I told my mom I was going to watch it getting ready for this. And she said, I love Nobody's Fool. She's like, that is one of those movies that you just want to watch around the holidays because, you know, it's set in the wintertime. It's all this snow and sludge. Uh, I just think it's a it's a great movie for characters and totally Paul Newman, you know, shines in that movie. And uh, I think he has a real interesting arc in it. Um, but I I don't I, I don't know if it was like it wasn't a very showy performance, but I don't think Morgan Freeman's performance was very showy either. But it I think he's Morgan Freeman was doing um, rewatching Shawshank. I was like, damn, he really is. He's he's carrying a lot um, in this film and um, he's expressing a lot with very uh, little to say, but he's getting a lot across. Well, his- and the other thing I'll say, big comparison with Morgan Freeman's performance in Shawshank and, and Tom Hanks's in Forrest Gump, they both take place over years. Mm-hmm. But Tom Hanks doesn't really change. Forrest doesn't really change. Yeah. He stays the same. Morgan Freeman changes a lot. 
from yes. being a cynic, a young man, to not really know what to think, and he becomes a more robust person, uh, especially as he goes through all the different uh, parole hearings mm -hmm. into what he becomes at the end of the movie. It's just way more dynamic than what Forrest Gump is. And again, I'm not saying Tom Hanks did not do a great job. I just think a lot of times when somebody plays someone with some kind of a, I don't, I even, I don't even know if it's the right word, but handicap or something that way. Like they're touched in a way that yeah yes. makes them, yeah. But does that mean it was a impressive performance? It's kind of like when everybody thinks DiCaprio should have won for Gilbert Grape. I mm. think you're out of your minds. Like, I just watched Gilbert Grape last night. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Tommy Lee Jones and Ray Fiennes, way better performances that year. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Like like I said, Tom Hanks should have multiple Oscars. I really wish he'd have won for Saving Private Ryan. I, I think that was a more deserving role than maybe one or both of the Oscars he has. But I won't, I won't fight it. I won't fight it. He won for Forrest Gump. Super iconic character. I think if you played an all like a top 10 iconic character then that's worthy in and of itself to win an oscar cool all right we'll leave it there uh director i totally agree with you no brainer tarantino should have won this was absolutely just a zemeckis here it's your turn award yeah. like you know he did he, he did a great i do think he's deserving uh he he put a lot of work into Forrest Gump. And uh, as I already mentioned with his, uh, all the work that just went in, the technical achievements of it. But um, but that also, a lot of credit should go to other people on the crew for that. But um, I, yeah, but Pulp Fiction is such a director's movie. I mean, that is, it, it's just, it's just right there, like on, on the screen. Yeah, absolutely. And he won for Best Original Screenplay. But I, yeah, I think it was a, don't worry, kid, you're going to get one. Well, he still hasn't. And he should have won for Pulp Fiction. Uh, I mean, Zemeckis had given us Romance in the Stone and the Back to the Future movies and Roger Rabbit and, you know, other things. And I think they were just like, all right, Robert, here's, it's your turn. Yeah. And it, just looking back on it, it's just like, man, you guys really fucked that one up. I, I just, Tarantino had everything. He created everything about this movie that has been copied and influence so many other things. And I just, it's, by the way, Frank Darabont, Shawshank, not even nominated. Yeah. How? Interesting. I don't know. I think you probably take uh, Woody Allen out. And slip him, slip him in there. D yeah. Put Darabont in. Because, um, I mean, the other ones were, uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce this guy's name, the director of Three Colors Red mm. and uh, Robert Redford for Quiz Show, which we haven't really talked about Quiz Show. Yeah. And like we'll we'll talk about it in a minute when we get the best picture. Very, very good movie. One of the best movies of probably the nineties. So but if you took Redford out, put Darabont in, I'd get it. But I, I think you could take Woody Allen out and put Darabont in. I just can't believe Darabont wasn't wasn't nominated. His screenplay was because he adapted it. Mm. Uh, obviously didn't win because Forrest Gump won, because I think it was a short story or a book or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, director. That was that was a big screw up. I'm sorry. And that was <laughs> that was pure politics. That was pure yeah. politics. Yeah. Definitely. But maybe it gave Pulp Fiction this little extra oomph, like cool cred because it didn't win in, in, in that category. Who knows? Uh, well, let's just let, look. Let's get the best picture. And no, no. Forrest Gump should not have won best picture. And I think it just charmed the pants off America. And that's great. It's just not a better movie than Pulp Fiction and Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> now, 
I will be objective. Yes, I think Pulp Fiction, personally, I think Pulp Fiction should have won. I think that, I mean, an independent film that became an absolute phenomenon, nobody was saying anything bad about it except people who don't really like, you know, aggressive language and violence and things. Tarantino comes in like a comet, gives us this thing, super influential, nothing like it. I do. Objectively, I get why it didn't win. Especially in that time, I don't think people were ready for it. Especially the, the voters at the Academy. Shawshank Redemption should have won Best Picture. Mm. It just, it should have won. I'm sorry. Like, I don't know why. We, I shouldn't even have to debate this. Uh, Forrest Gump is a nice movie. It's a fun movie. It's a charming movie. There's no weight to it. No point are you, there's, there's no heavy themes. There's nothing. It, you know it's going to work out. Everything works out for him. It's ridiculous. He goes to Vietnam, saves people, starts a shrimp business, becomes a mil millionaire, invests in mm -hmm. Apple, like all works out for a good old Forrest. You know, nothing. Now he's going to be a real good dad. Like, great, whatever. The themes in Shawshank Redemption of redemption and hope have so much more weight to them. And they're just so much more, so much more depth in those themes of everyone's redeemable mm. and the hope you were talking about, you know, sadness and, and films and stuff like that. I tear up every time at the, at the hope monologue at the end of that movie when Morgan Freeman mm. yells, I hope that, I mean, I tear up every time that movie is so just grips you and sucks you in on top of having this really cool escape with a, tw yeah. a twist. You, you, first time you see it, you think Tim Robbins is dead and you find out that is not the case it, to take this short novella and turn it into this full flesh movie yeah. that people want to watch over. It's like arguably the most rewatchable movie of all time. Uh, I don't know. I, I just, I don't hate Paul. I mean, Forrest Gump. I don't hate it. It's a lovely movie. It's, it's a rewatchable movie. It's a feel good movie. Just uh, the totality of all three of these films, I just, I uh, just, I get why it won. It was, a, it was not a good decision, and I'm not going to, to badmouth Chelsea on this. <laughs> she is entitled to her opinion. You, 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 you have swayed me a bit into. Um, I think that I was letting my own bias of like, just for the sheer fact that I've seen Forrest Gump the most like kind of swayed me into thinking like, well, yeah, it deserves best picture because I'm just most familiar with it. But um, now having rewatched um, the Shawshank Redemption and hearing your reasoning why I'm not going to I'm not going to argue that I, I think how cool would it have been to shake out the, that way where Shawshank wins best picture. And I mean, seems like it makes a lot of sense considering it's on like number one IMDb best movies of all time, which whatever stock you want to put in that list. But whatever it, it does you know, matter a lot. That movie means a lot to people. And for all the themes that you talked about, which I will leave at that because I think you put them so perfectly. Um, so Shawshank, Best Picture, Quentin Tarantino wins Best Director and let Tom Hanks win for Best Actor because Tom Hanks is the heart and soul of Forrest Gump. So there you, you leave it at that and that leaves me very happy. Yeah, and Zemeckis could still win for Adapted Screenplay. I mean, he took a short story and... True, yeah. You know? So, and I think he, I mean, I don't think he wrote the whole thing by himself. Um, 
There's a really cool uh, episode of the movies that made us on Netflix about Forrest Gump, which I really recommend watching. I haven't watched that episode yet, but I love that show. Um, but similar with Pulp Fiction, similar theme, the, the main theme of Pulp Fiction is redemption. And I talked about this in the first episode. It's why I love that movie so much. One of the reasons I love the movie so much is just the complexity of the characters. And everybody talks about why do the scenes move out of order? Well, the scenes move out of order because the plot is not important. You want to focus on the characters and the theme of redemption. There's complexity there. There's weight to it. There's consequences to it. There's no consequences in Forrest Gump. I don't know. I don't know. It makes me, every time I think about it, it just makes me want to bash my head on the wall. <laughs> I, I, I just, it's like people thinking pure emotion uh, and just, this made me feel good and I voted for it and they were wrong. They were just so wrong. And if you disagree with me, fine. You're entitled to <laughs> But just know that you are also wrong. <laughs> I feel kind of attacked. No, 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 no. I, I just because I think I may have been one of those voters that would have just voted with my emotions that season, that year. But who knows? I don't know. Good thing I'm not an awards, uh, not a member of the academy. But, um, but it, everything you said is legitimate, and I definitely acknowledge it. And I hear you. Well, so. and I wonder, Chelsea. I've thought about this too. What if Forrest Gump? got pushed out a year like something happened it got pushed into 95 oh 90, with braveheart right yeah 95 is kind of a weak oscar year and i do like braveheart what if forrest gump comes out a year later and just wins everything that year mm. and freed up you know what could have been um well let's talk about real quick the other two best picture nominees so quiz show really really good movie really good movie really well-made movie directed by robert redford starring ray fines and john Turturro. Uh, true story about fixing a, a TV game show um, and the consequences of that happening. Uh, I think it was just rough timing. It just yeah. came up against these three juggernauts that had no chance, but outstanding movie. Other one is Four Weddings and a Funeral. We've already kind of talked about that. Chelsea, what would you have thought if we took Four Weddings out and in Lion King instead? Hmm. That would have been really interesting because I did have – that had happened with Beauty and the Beast. It was up for Best Picture. It lost to Silence of the Lambs. Why not? I think that would have been because it still is a, is a bit. I'm a bit confused by Four Weddings and a Funeral being in the Best Picture category, and uh, I I I would love to see Lion King represented there. It's it's weird to think about it just because Beauty and the Beast was so fresh, and I don't know if if people would have been accepting of that but of those disney epics the next one to come out after beating the beast lion king is definitely the one that i could see actually holding some weight in a best picture category so i like thinking about that i think if you took a poll of however many people you want million people what was your favorite disney film from the 90s i would bet money it'd be the lion king that movie was just an absolute force it just made an ungodly amount of money for the time that it came out. Yeah. Um, thinking about thinking about the fact that Beauty and the Beast was nominated for Best Picture, and Lion King wasn't. Is it's actually when I stop and think about it, it's it's quite just another confounding aspect of this Oscars year. <laughs> confounding. Yes. 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 Well, there you have it. I'm glad I finally was able to get this Off get this chest. out, and I hope I influence a new wave of people revisit these films. It's a really cool year. I 
I've really enjoyed like these are fun like assignments that we give ourselves for these episodes because it um, it makes me like do homework, but it's like homework in the best way. And um, it's it's a lot of fun. And it's so cool when you're looking at these things, but as a, a moment in time to see how that what each one is saying um, and the different themes they all were tackling or different tones they all were striking in the same year. Um, it's been, it's been really, it's just been really enjoyable to, to revisit the, the films from this, this time in the nineties. So thank you. Well, thank you, Chelsea, as always. Uh, we're going to close up with some recommendations as, as always. Uh, I'm just going to do mine really quick. We were talking about, John Grisham movies with the client. I'm not a big fan of most of John Grisham movies. The one I really enjoy, Runaway Jury. Uh, I watched this not that long mm. ago. Like most uh, John Grisham movies, at some point takes place in New Orleans, which I always really enjoy. But Gene Hackman, John Cusack, and uh, Rachel Weiss, just a really like interesting story of people outsmarting one another. Really cool ending. Uh, I was, unlike most John Grisham movies, I was completely engaged the whole time. It was really... Try, watching two people try to outdo each other the whole movie. Uh, definitely, I give it a two. If you like uh, like a semi-mystery courtroom drama, definitely check out Runaway Jury. Cool. Did you give it a three, two, or one? Yeah, two. Oh, two. Okay, sorry about that. Um, I'm going to uh, shout out a film that, was, that did win an Oscar. We didn't talk about it. Um, uh, during the 95 Oscars, uh, The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Uh, I rewatched that just just for the heck of it. I mean, I knew it, it we didn't it wasn't a lot of like stock we were putting in that movie cuz I think that was the only category it was it was nominated in was costuming and it won and rightfully so, but it's uh it's it's a I really Australian films strike such a strange tone to them they they straddle this weird like comedic and tragic line and um it, it's like almost unsettling uh like if you ever watch um strictly ballroom with baz Luhrmann, it's i love 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 that movie but in muriel's wedding another one that is like it's like sucker punches you it's with certain moments mixed with these like moments of levity and um priscilla queen of the desert has a lot of that very annoying but compelling performance by a guy Pierce and um just overall I, I think it's it's just something it, it's just something fun and with great a great soundtrack because they're drag queens uh I'm kind of speaking on this as if everyone knows what the movie's about but they they are drag queens making their way uh across the desert to uh to get to a show uh there there is something i won't ruin at the end of the movie that's awaiting one of the the lead characters but um it's uh i i give it i know it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea and i'm not saying rush out and see it now and i'll give it a two uh but i really don't think you'll be disappointed if if you if you pop this movie on it i i really really loved it Okay, thanks for that, Chelsea. Uh, so thank you for listening, everyone. We're going to have some more episodes for you in December. Really appreciate everyone who listens. I hope everyone has a really safe and fun and happy Thanksgiving. Uh, as always, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on Instagram. You can reach out to us at uh, spotlight at gmail.com. And if you're enjoying the show, please... Subscribe, like, leave a review, share with friends, or do whatever you want. You're an adult.
happy holidays, everyone. I know we'll, we'll, you'll hear from us again before the next big one, but uh, enjoy getting cozy for Thanksgiving and thanks for listening. All right. So with that, uh, for the Marquee Spotlight, I am Spencer Bailey. I'm Chelsea Burnett. We'll see you. Thanks for listening. The Marquee Spotlight is recorded in Portland with music composed and produced by Josh Colopy and cover art created by Taylor Engel. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram for updates on new episodes. And if you like the show, please write a review and share with others.